Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G, here with Speed Bancroft of Speedy Fresh Pizzas and also a few other ventures that we're gonna dive in and kind of learn the history of his entrepreneurial career, his entrepreneurial start, and just all the amazing things he's got going on with everything that he's doing. And before we get started, a big thanks to everyone that makes this possible, and that is Falaya Real Estate and Government Taco. Without further ado, Speed, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. Yeah. I was been seeing you on LinkedIn, yeah. seeing your pizza production and your progress over the last couple of months. And whenever I saw the other day, you're like the first. Was it the first pizza was produced fully? Yeah, uh, I think we went end to end for the first time. Yes, and uh, I have to catch myself because I don't. Sometimes I don't pay attention to what I put on LinkedIn, <laughs> and I'll get a call or my engineer will tell me, "Hey, you don't need to put all that stuff on there." And I, uh, Right. <laughs> so the first the first pizza from end to end yeah. has been out there. And that's what the video I saw is like, okay, this is really cool. I gotta learn about it. So what's what's your background, man? How did you get here and where are you from? What kind of a kid were you? Uh so I guess taking it back to a kid, uh, I was always entrepreneurial. I was the guy at the pool, as my mom told me, I would uh walk around the pool and ask people for money. And I got enough money, I'll go get a, a cheeseburger. So I've been doing that since I was a little would, kid. Would you, would you sell anything? Or no, just I was selling anything. I was asking them for money. I knew they had money because okay. dad told me, like, everybody here has got money. So I was like, all right, fine. So uh, I guess that's, you know, a little bit about my personality. Um, uh, I started my first uh, entrepreneurial stint in Jackson, Mississippi, and I purchased my first business when I was 25. It was called Bancroft Paper and Chemicals. It was my father's okay. paper, paper company. And uh, ran that for a little while. It was my first little stint. Um, I did pretty good, I guess. Uh, I brought on a guy named Paul Laparouse, who's mm-hmm. here in Baton Rouge. And uh, Paul took over as CEO and kind of showed me kind of the ins and outs. He was a, a seasoned CFO, he knew a lot about financial controls and operations, and I just kind of studied him. Uh, in 2009, I got out of Jackson, came into uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and started uh, my first startup company, which was a televised shopping show. And Televised uh, shopping show. So I had always seen, you know, QVC, HSN, and I was always wondering why they didn't have like outdoor products on there, like uh, stuff for guys or uh, in general, just outdoor stuff where it was a niche market where you were just showing one type of stuff, like outdoor stuff, hunting, hiking, camping, cooking, grilling, stuff like that. So I started traveling around to the trade shows and talking to people, asking if they'd like to be on TV. And I'm sure everybody's ears perked right Oh, yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) back then, this is before... I mean, Amazon was big, but it hadn't caught on a what, lot. What, I, year, what year are we in? Uh, this reference? is 2009, 2010. Okay. 09, 10. Okay. So I formed an LLC. It was called the Outdoor Shopper. Right. And we affectionately called it TOS. It's not trying to, you know. Model after the QVC. Correct. Yeah. Right. So uh, 2009, 2010, I started. It was a really sluggish start. Um, I finally landed my first investor who we did a two-part investment. It was a $150,000 investment, but he put it in 75,000 
And then six months later, he did another 75,000. It was a milestone based approach. Right. And uh, it was my first time to raise capital. So I didn't know anybody. I was like, this guy's giving me money. <laughs> He's giving you money for something that's yeah. not, not, not real at the time. Correct. And so was, how- it was a sheet of paper that I had okay. worked out some equations on and what I'd talked to. Uh, I had some friends who connected me with Kevin Harrington, Shark, original Shark Tank from uh, ABC Shark Tank or NBC. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I, how, I connected with him. connection? It was a local guy named Terry Jones. Okay. Uh, who's from Baton Rouge. He connected me and we started talking about uh, the business model and the operational ratios. Cause that's really what I try to uh, dial in on that kind of makes sense in my mind um, and how, how a company should be run and how you should approach it. So he, uh, helped me understand what the typical ratios were for uh, putting a product on TV and uh, selling it. And then, you know, what do you charge the vendors? What do you, what do you do? What's the typical scenario? So he brought me through that. And uh, then I started uh, buying airtime and bringing people to the Celtic or Celtic Media I think center? it's Celtic, Celtic Studios, but I could be wrong there. So, so I, and I, Cody would know. Yeah. And I, so it, it, I was out there for like three years and I did my first production with Jay to Cody. And uh, that was at Jowls Island. And we did it in, in one of my lodges. <laughs> and uh, we blacked out all the windows. Right. And um, it was awesome. We told every, all the, we have a crew out there and we told them there's no driving by. <laughs> just you know be quiet we didn't let the shelf come in the kitchen that day and so it was really just kind of like for us to do production tommy tally caleb michelson uh jd oh, yeah. cody tommy tally absolutely all yeah. these names are familiar to me yeah we i've worked with them for a number of years and we've stayed friends uh since but it was a great experience i took that company uh see i raised 1.1 million oh, wow. over over three years yeah i started off with that hundred and fifty thousand. And uh, I really got going good, but the long story short is before I sold my interest in that company, I believe I had 42% left after I'd raised the capital, which was pretty good for your first attempt and, or mine. And uh, I, I got out and I learned the hard way that guys don't shop from TV the way that women do. <laughs> so yes, that was long story short. Yes, guys, we don't, we don't sit there and call the 1-800 number. That's it. That's it, it just, it doesn't it, happen. The traditional thing. And, and we never did like really huge deep discounts like we should have. And I didn't, I didn't put that into place until after I'd gotten out and I was like, we should have tried this. You know, you start Monday morning, like four buck knives for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. And I really started talking, I was talking to the guys at uh, Bass Pro Shop, and they're like, man, we watch the show all the time, but you should have done this, this, and this. And it's, you know, it's traditional. When you don't succeed at something, people they come always by have and they offer their input. Yeah. Yeah, input. And, uh, but uh, to give you an idea of how, how that should have worked, you're supposed to have a three-to-one ratio for every uh, ad dollar or ad, ad expense you have, like buying airtime. You're supposed to produce $3.00. Uh, of sales and have a 50% margin. That's traditional. And I had a 0.7 over one, <laughs> 0.7 over one and a 37% GP margin. So it was way off. And, uh, but we had a lot of fun. We, we got close to, to succeeding. We had a, a couple of big pe- players in that space, like uh, some of the guys at HSN that really were looking at us. And uh, we just never were able to get serious traction. 
So did you ever like take time to go talk to Bass Pro or Cabela's to bring them on as a sponsor with any um, of it? We looked at doing a, a kind of like a, a joint venture mm-hmm. with uh, Bass Pro, and we talked to um, one of my connections with uh, Kevin Harrington and a guy named Bobby Mann. Uh, they knew Johnny, the owner of Bass Pro, who now owns Bass Pro and Cabela's. And I can't think of his last name, but they put me in touch with him. And uh, we ran ran it by him, and there was a lot of interest. But we were so small at that time. You know, we weren't breaking a million dollars in sales. And right. that doesn't get anybody's blood boiling. You know, they, you, you need to be up there above $10 million and They got to see that traction. Yeah, they want to see it. And although it's a great idea, it wasn't being executed properly. So, uh, yeah, we were able to, to get through those channels, but – uh, not having the cells to back it up is kind of where it stopped. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. They they want to find somebody that's already producing and can so scale. they can piggyback on yeah. and scale with their marketing dollars. Correct, and we, we got close, like I said. <laughs> like, we probably could have figured it out if I'd have kept raising capital, but at some point, you got to... You got to pull the plug. Yeah. What made you want to pull the plug? I just couldn't see getting from 0. 0.7 to 3 the way that we were doing it and... Uh, the vendors that I would I was working with weren't the big players. They were the small mom and pop guys, and they didn't want to spend the money that I needed to to do a real run. Uh, and a real run would be to have one one player do you know three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in sales. And for that, it's you need a really big bundle, and you need a deep discount for the so that the the profit profitability from that product when it does sell is there. So. We just, um, I never, I never was able to pull that together. Okay. Yeah. So when you said you filmed one of these episodes at your lodge. Yeah. Your lodge meaning what exactly? So my two sisters, Annalie and Holly, Holly lives here in Baton Rouge and then Annalie lives in Austin. We own a private island over in Natchez and we run a hunting operation. Private island? Yeah. How big is the island? 10,000 acres. Holy smoke. Yeah. How, do you, how do you come about purchasing a 10,000-acre island? So there was a recession. This was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a recession in the 80s. And when they came out of that in 89, uh, the land was being sold for dirt cheap. And we bought that uh, property for $300 an acre. $300 an acre? Yeah, $300 an acre. Holy smoke. Yeah. And Dude, uh, that was incredible. a great purchase. And... uh we had some property up north. It was called Beulah. I forgot the name of the city that it was out of, but we had a big uh, ice storm, and we were using that property for fishing and squirrel hunting mostly. And they tore out all the tops of the trees after the ice storm. So when that happened, we you know we were using it for squirrel hunting. It decimated the squirrel population. So we started looking for a property, and my dad specifically told the the broker, the the guy that we were using, the the agent, we were looking for an island because <laughs> he wanted something similar to Davis Island, which right, is north right. uh, out of Vicksburg. So he he grew up hunting on Davis Island, and he said, you know, I want something very similar to that. And we, uh, I think he he was searching for maybe two years, something like that. And finally, in ninety one, ninety two, he found it and uh, purchased wow. it. That's incredible. So it's a family-run, yeah, hunting. Property. Yeah, my my sister's more deeply involved. Holly is than I am. Um, it's just it's a small mom and pop type thing. It pays the 
maintenance, taxes, and insurance of the property so that we can still enjoy it. And we have a, a successful hunting operation where we sell three-day hunts. And uh, we have a lot of clients around Baton Rouge. They're mostly oil and gas and construction. Okay. Okay. So you've got these two ventures that run together and look very similar because they're in the same field. So yeah. very big hunting, fishing, outdoors. Yeah, that's where I got the aspect. idea of uh, sitting on the deer stand, wondering why they don't do. <laughs> that's where it started. Why can't you be scrolling through your phone? Looking exactly. At see somebody demo something, you know? <laughs> oh, the, ge- the geofencing around every wooded area. Yeah. That's what you should have been targeting. Targeting you know, like all the hunting clubs. It, as soon as you get in there. <laughs> You get like you get in the stand and they know like it's only alive from like 5 a.m. Yeah. till 9 a.m. Yeah, and if it's a certain temperature in that area, <laughs> we sell you jackets or something exactly. like that. Or you sell like during the summertime, you sell the thermocells. Yeah. You know, trying to push oh, yeah. thermocells on everybody. Like, yeah. Get a text notification. Are you getting bit by mosquitoes? Sure. <laughs> yeah. How did you know? <laughs> so you, you move out of all of these and you go into pizza making. Yeah. How 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 do we get there? <laughs> Um, so I went to a McDonald's one day. I was going to visit my dad. He lives in Monroe and I was driving back, uh, from Monroe and I stopped off at McDonald's to get a a biscuit breakfast sandwich. And, uh, the lady there really let me have it. Uh, apparently their credit card machine went down. Okay. And they had put an eight and a half by 11 out on the, where you order, you know, this huge billboard. Right. And they had this little eight and a half by 11 on the supporting beam that was holding the sign up. You don't think to look there, but they had it there and it was held up on the vertical tabs. So when the wind blew, it folded over. But I wouldn't have looked at it anyway. When I got to the thing, I placed my order. And when I got to the window, she's kind of like, let me have it. Like, can't you read? Like something like that to that extent. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. She said, our credit card machine is down. You got to pay cash. But it was in a way, it was a very derogatory experience. Right. Uh, and uh, I, after that, on the way home, I, I was like, I want to build an automated hamburger system. We don't ever have to deal with that. So I, that was in 2015. And by 2016, I'd built a bench model of an automated pizza kitchen in my living room. So why did it shift from hamburgers to pizza? Um, so I did the capital requirements budget on that <laughs> system. <laughs> and it was like $1.6 million to build a prototype. Okay. And I went to the uh, LA Tech Park and I had I had met with a, a bunch of the people. And it actually started off as a picture of a box. And like that's a, what I... Oh, like a, um, just like a box, like an industrial box. image. Okay. And it was just a box. And I went to the LA Tech Park before I built the... Like my first thing was... I came up with the idea. I went to the tech park and I said, I'm going to build an automated hamburger system. And they said, okay, well, let's hear this pitch. And I said, well, here it is. <laughs> Here's a Here's picture the box. of a box. <laughs> and they're like, no, man, you got to go and do all the designing and all this kind of stuff. So I didn't have any designing experience, but I just know how to do it. I don't know how, I don't know how to figure it out, but like I, I work now with real uh, mechanical engineers like Sanjay who's here. Um, and uh, they're real design. I mean, I, I just have a knack for it. But they said, you know, start working on it and build something that you can explain to us how it goes from process to process. So I went to Dakota Supply uh, over off of Florida, and I started buying uh, pieces of componentry, which looked a certain way of how I had the system working right. in my mind. And uh, so I built that thing, put it in my living room, and 
I had it there for about a year and I got it to where I, I think I probably could have built an automated hamburger system based on uh, what I had put together, even though they weren't technical specs, but I just felt like, you know, this, I know, I know I could do it. Yeah. And then I did the analysis on it, the cost analysis. And um, I got with a couple of different engineering firms and it was at 1.6 to build it. And I was like, no, I can't. That's, that's a little high. Yeah. I mean, it, look, if we were in Silicon Valley, probably, yeah, I could mm -hmm. probably have already done that. But we're not. We're in Louisiana. People are used to oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to come up with a new concept, especially I'm not an engineer. I'm not really like somebody who was on the well, technical background. Yeah, I don't. And uh, so I had to come up with the design. I ended up designing an automated fried chicken restaurant, like Raising Cane's. Okay. And I I did that and uh, still have those designs. And But then again, you have the budget problem. So I went to pizza and then I figured out how to do the pizza and I scaled it down to a very simple design and heating and holding since my Hamburger design was heating and holding because you have to manage the drive-through. Uh, you have to to manage walk-in traffic. It's a full-blown restaurant, right? Uh, like a QSR, like a, a McDonald's. Yeah, it's a restaurant in a box. Yeah, and you have to do heating and holding, and that was my whole philosophy. And it it uh, it um, carried over into the design for the pizza, and that's when I figured out, hey, wait, if I if I put these things in high-traffic areas. I can do heating and holding for the pizza because I knew the background on the pizza and how long the dough would last in a warmer that was humidity assisted. I did the research and uh, I knew that I could hold the, the, the pies in a refrigerated state for up to three days, 72 hours. And then I could cook the pizzas and store them in a warmer for up to two hours. And then I built everything else around that. So you said you knew the background of pizza dough. Were you in a pizza environment beforehand or were you doing the research just for this project just i was googling it <laughs> <laughs> i did my research on google 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 is the the best the best research yeah, tool, everything's right? on there and it's, you can watch youtube videos and i got used to watching it i hired a, a consultant um i can't remember her name but uh she owns a, a website called bakerpedia or Baker's, Baker's, Baker's Pedia. Okay. Yeah. And I hired her as a consultant and I asked her a gazillion questions about uh, shelf life before and after cooking. And so I came up with that. And then I researched warmers and they already had a warmer out on the market that did something similar. And then, uh, so I knew I'd, I'd. You, you knew there was the tools that yeah. you needed to build this prototype to one day be a product. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So what were you doing like in the meantime to work and finance, finance all of this? I mean, this is not an inexpensive operation. No, was it, it from past it takes, ventures? It takes a really long time to find your first investor. And that's really difficult. And uh, the design has actually changed multiple iterations since well, I sure. raised my first amount of capital. My first investor was waiters, Chris Moe. And, uh, really? Chris, yeah, Chris, I traveled over to... Uh, he had a he had a branch in Lafayette, and he, I think his headquarters was in Lake Charles. But I went over to Lafayette, and I walked into his thing. He had like hundreds of people. It's crazy, and he was just going all. It was crazy. Was I was like really crazy. inspired, yeah. and uh, he sat sat down and yeah, you know, gave me an hour with his crew and, and everybody else. And I told him what I wanted to do, and he was like, "All right, I'll come in if you do this." And he was like, "Raise two hundred fifty thousand. I'll give you X amount." 
And I was like, all right. So then I went to Mitch Rotolo. I never met him. I walked uh, or drove up to his place and met with him face-to-face because that's the best way. Well, yeah, it's, it's, especially he, in Baton Rouge. Yeah. You got to bring, bring him to lunch, bring him to dinner face-to-face. I had a sketch, <laughs> a sketch, kind of like, like a cocktail napkin. Yeah. And I sat down with Mitch. And uh, I could tell Mitch was like he's a he's a uh, he loves this kind of stuff. When I was talking to him, because he was doing input just like Chris was, and um, he said, "I'm in," but you got to you know. And I told him about the the uh, requirements. I had to raise X amount before I'd take any money from you. And uh, so then I went to Ozzy Fernandez and Mark Graffignini, and I you know Ozzy has lit pizza and right. Roca pizza, and uh, so I went to all the people that I knew. Uh, would not just be, uh, you know, money. There would also be a wealth of knowledge for me. Hundred percent. They they've already got the experience. They've probably got the supply chain. Yeah, they they've do. got the the know with all. They've got all that technical experience. You know what temperature to bake it. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Everything you need to get a pizza from start to finish. They can tell you how to do it technically. Then you can bring in your engineer. Yeah. And actually make it actually function. And then having them come in and uh, Sanjay has been there with us while Ozzy has, has come in and we've cooked pizzas for him. So he's sen- seen the process from start to finish, from end to end. He sees the end quality. So now they're like getting even more interested, trying to help me find other investors. But uh, it really helps because um, like these guys have, you know, the people that make some of the best products ingredients wise right you know in the u.s and i was buying initially and i still do some of my testing with albertson stuff he's <laughs> just like <laughs> so you just walk in albertson's and buy the but i make the, a the really good pizza <laughs> with it i mean, you gotta admit it's a really good pizza i cook one for everybody here they like it <laughs> okay so you when you were looking for your investors you went for people specifically in your niche in your area that you were yeah. actually going to be working. Do you think that was kind of an effective route to go? Yeah, it was the only route. It was the only route I had put Mitch and Ozzy and all these guys on a list as my must haves. You got to have these people on board and uh, they carry a lot of weight. They know that we've discussed it because their knowledge and uh, what they can do to help, help the company out. And uh, so when I first started after Chris came on board and I knew there was interest there. That's who I started targeting. And I knew knew how to get in touch with them. And I just got lucky getting the meetings and going up there and just kind of forcing it. Like, hey, here I am. Deal with it. Like, I'm right. I'm going to do this. Can you help me? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do it one way or another. Yeah, do you want to get I'm on the ship or do you want to get off? I may come up here once a week. <laughs> so invest and you won't have to say, you're paying me to go away. <laughs> right, right. And, and that... You, you, you say it with a, a, a light, a light tone. And I fully understand where you're coming from. And I get, and I get that, you know, pay me to leave, right? Pay me to stop showing up. That's it. But as, as a young entrepreneur, as any entrepreneur want to start a business, you've got to be that type of person. Yeah. Now don't get me wrong. Don't stalk them and go to like their basketball. No, games. no, that's it. Like go to that's the, like, like show yeah, up there's in their a office. Boundary. Right? There's, there's, there's a boundary. A, you don't want to cross the boundary. Yeah. And I was, I was contacting them, you know, on Facebook, but I was doing it in such a way like Jay helped me reach i tried to reach ozzy a couple times through social media um and you know some people that like ozzy's really busy so is mitch they don't check their inbox and i'm like even one of their friends on facebook they don't i don't check a lot of the people that write me because it goes to 
that other box or whatever it is. I guess Facebook Messenger now. It's Some, like two yeah. separate apps. Yeah, and it, it's it's hard for me to check all that stuff too. So I thought that was that was go, uh, going on, and then Jay Dakota stepped in, and uh, Jay wrote a personal email to Ozzy and told him that Mitch was in, and you know this is Speed, my friend, all this kind of stuff, and then Ozzy replied finally. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that's another thing to take into account is meet people you know along the way you don't know what kind of role they're going to play later on in your yeah. career yeah. like you were doing something with jay where it was an outdoor venture tv yeah. show and he was a host yeah like nothing to do with food yeah you know, something to do with outdoors and products and then later on you're able to leverage that relationship i kept say, good, hey. i kept good ties there yeah and with tom and all those guys because you know those are the guys that i trying to run with in business and I look up to and you know it's always good to work with those kind of people that are better better they're better than me they work harder so I want to be around them because they they push me mm -hmm. to to do better and they have a lot of connections all that kind of stuff too yeah well then it's also important to know who knows who yeah in the area that you're doing business whether you're being like Charles and you got to know the Chris Moe's yep. or you're in Baton Rouge and you got to know that whole circle of people that's right it's a, it's important to get in front of their faces to pitch your idea because having someone introduce you to someone else is one of the biggest oh, yeah. door openings yeah, you can ever is. have as an it entrepreneur is. I'm the same way too somebody that I know introduces introduces me they go that extra mile I feel okay there's got to be a reason for this so then I then I talk to them. Yeah. Typically I won't, you know, typically I'm just busy doing my own stuff. No, I get it. That's what I do all day. <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. You're, you're building your craft, you're building your product. You don't have time to sit and maybe take a lunch with and meet with somebody. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, I take my lunches up to the uh, tech park every day and eat up there just so I can work closely with Sanjay. And, uh, I like watching him doing what he's doing cause he will, you know, buy a particular piece or something like that off of Amazon or uh, Automation Direct or wherever we, you know we source our products from uh, several different sources, but uh, it's fun for me to watch because I think I would have been if I went back to college again, I definitely would have studied mechanical engineering definitely, and I didn't catch that the first time around, and uh, wasn't even close. <laughs> <laughs> I tried finance and I couldn't stand it. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't you're a like finance it. major. No, I didn't graduate. I okay. hated. I didn't never graduated. And uh, when I was 23, I decided to step out of school, and okay. uh, I went and worked for my dad because things for, in college for me just weren't working out. And uh, that's when I went and started working, and I learned that I'm more of a tactile learner, and uh, like actually doing it hands, hands on, on. Yeah, hands 100%. on. And uh, like I, I wouldn't sit there. I would sit there in my accounting classes and just glaze over. She's typically looking at some girl in the class and whatever, you know. And uh, so I wouldn't focus and, you know, I didn't get bad grades. I just wouldn't, wasn't going like, like I should have Yeah. to get out of there quick and get your degree and do all that. And then I got into the paper industry and it was like, I love this. I went out, I was doing outdoor sales and I was excelling and uh, doing great. And then started learning different areas of the business. I, I put myself in to each position of that company, general manager, sales manager, warehouse. I loaded docks from 15, age of 15 to 18 um, during the summers. And uh, so I knew every part of that business uh, by the time I was 23. 25 was when I bought it. Okay. 
For are you still, are you still for a thousand dollars? Yeah. <laughs> are you still in the business now? No, I, uh, sold my interest when I was 29, maybe 30. Uh, and I sold it to Paul. Paul decided to stick it out and stay in Jackson. And, uh, I wanted him to have every advantage that he could because I admired him for staying in because Jackson's a rough town. Right. And we were in the roughest part of it. Oh, really? Our warehouse, yeah. <laughs> we got shot at. Uh, the warehouse got shot at several times. And then we got robbed. Or <laughs> Robbed? <laughs> Paul, Paul got robbed four times in three nights. <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah. So he twice in one night? Yeah. That's what I heard. And uh, I think that was the story. He got robbed. And and then the next night they came back, and then that third night they came back twice. So they're like watching the same, the cops, the same group of people. I think I I don't know. I mean, and, so they were just waiting for the cops to leave, and then they were going to yeah. go and bust up in there. Yeah, and uh, it was in oh a bad gosh. neighborhood, so it's not like you can't really surveil that area, right? You know, if you you know take your own life, you know, have value in your own life, you don't want to sit up there, especially after five. So, wow. So is it still in existence today? Uh, we sold it. He sold it eventually to a company called Laurel Paper, and I think they still lease the warehouse that my family owns. Okay. So they're still there, I think. But uh, yeah, Laurel Paper is still around. Gotcha. So where in the we just said you just finished your purse, your first start to finish pizza automated process. Where yeah. are you at in the deployment stage? Um, so four months out, we're going to be setting up in Tigerland, and uh, we're in the process right now of doing our fine tuning. We have our lid placing device that we're uh, building our second generation model for. We should have that done uh, by the end of this week or mid next week. And um, that's when the, the pizza comes out of the oven. We apply a lid on it before it goes into the warmer. But uh, after we have that, it's going to be, you know, fine tuning it, getting the end to end runs down to, say, four minutes. We're at six and a half minutes right now from end to end. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's really going to cut two and a half? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can. We, <clears throat> okay. It's just timing and stuff like that. But um, right now, we're just focusing on, you know, what are the major components that we need to redesign and make sure that the system can run, say, a 1,000 cycles with zero failure rate. That's our goal, and to run a 1,000 cycles with zero or to, you know, maybe a couple hang-ups. But uh, that would probably still be okay if you had a couple hang-ups out of a 1,000. But you try to get it to where we can run this thing in Tigerland and not, not have, have to, to worry about – You don't have out there or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're monitoring. <clears throat> we're able to monitor the entire system from our computer at home. So we don't have to go out there, thank God. But, uh, yeah, we're able to uh, to do that, to see the inventory. Mitch Rotolo and his gang over there on Burbank, they're loading. We have a trans food transfer case. They load the pizzas up. We tell them the inventory. They're able to log in as well and see what the inventory is. So they don't have to go out up there to see what the inventory right. is. They don't have to do an inventory count. It's all. Yeah. It's uh, just kind of, you know, efficient for them to log into our system. And uh, they make the pizzas, transport them. And uh, we deal with the headaches. If there's any headaches, we're dealing. Sanjay and I are like the maintenance liaisons who are on, on uh, call 24-7. Gotcha. So this, the, the process is actually making the pizzas or is it just warming the pizza, cooking the pizzas? So you, you do a par-baked pizza crust and okay. you put it in a box. It's an ovenable box. 
And uh, my mom's going to shoot me because she told me ovenable is not a word. <laughs> I have heard, heard other pizza people say ovenable. So we'll take it. We'll make it a word. Okay. It's ovenable. Uh, anyway, it's a box that is capable of going through a conveyor uh, oven, an impinger oven, 500 degrees for up to, say, two minutes and 45 seconds. And uh, they're rated for 30 minutes at 450, but we're doing it a little bit higher and uh, a lot less time. But uh, anyway, you're making the pizzas, applying the sauce, cheese toppings, loading them into a climate-controlled fridge, not a freezer, a fridge. And uh, it, we're maintaining the temp from 34 to 38 degrees. And so you never want to freeze it because that's right. when you destroy the integrity of the, the crust. But so it's fresh, never frozen. You can hold it in that state for up to three days. And we can, we can store 96-plus 12-inch pizzas in our fridge. Oh, wow. Our, fir our first unit is 64 um, but, uh, so we built it so that there's gaps intentionally so that if we needed, so you're going to add in from 64. Up yeah, to we can read it. We can redesign. <clears throat> We're probably going to drop that whole design and our second generation is going to be a lot more compact. And, and that's uh, generally how like tech evolves. Yeah. Right? It it's starts one unit. It's like the bulky. iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's how we're doing it as well. And, uh, so after like, if you, if you go up there, the idea that we wanted to capture the experience for the customer is when you're showing up in these high traffic spaces, airports, theme parks, convenience stores, like we're talking to 7-Eleven, we're talking to Six Flags, we're talking to Disney World. Although oh, wow. It's, I've, we haven't, I've only had two conversations with Disney World where Six Flags is a little bit more interested and uh, we have a strong connection there. But um, the, the experience that we can provide those types of spaces is uh, you walk up to the system or place your order on the, the app. Uh, and when you place your order, you're getting your pizza immediately because what your system is learning the data for that space. And the trick is having the pizzas ready when the customers are hungry. So if, if the, let's say for example, from 11 to 12, you want, you're typically going to sell say 30, 12 inch pizzas. Well, at 1030, you start cooking the pizzas and have 30 pizzas in the warmer so that when you have that flood of people coming in and it, uh, you, they can grab and go. So there's no waiting. Right. That's the experience that we wanted to, uh, create. But also, uh, if you put this, this unit out into a parking lot and you wanted to have, say, walk up on one side of it, cause it's a T frame. Uh, if you wanted to have walk up on one side of it and you wanted to have to drive through and delivery on the other side, you can do that because having that warmer, you can manage multiple inputs. So you're able to manage the logistics where as a normal unit, what they have on the market right now is you walk up to it, you're blocking the side. They have one touchscreen. You place an order. You're, nobody else can do anything until you get out of the way because they only have typically one portal. Okay. So, so you're going in there, you're placing an order, you're waiting three three minutes. They're making you watch six 30-second commercials while you can't go anywhere. Like, right? They've got you trapped. Right, because the person behind you can come and grab your pizza. Yeah, so you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. And uh, so that's the, that's the problem that we have the solution for. The other is if you came there with your family and you're – at a theme park or something like that in an airport, you don't have a lot of time and you no, may be with be three, instant. four other people. Yeah. So you want to get two or three pizzas and you want to get them within, you know, under a minute. Well, place your order. The 
you go uh, once you place your order, you get a QR code. You go scan it. The uh, shelves pop open. You grab your pizza and you go. So it's it's really quick. It's convenient is what we're really offering is convenience. But at the same time, our design lends itself to the management of logistics for multiple inputs, which if you want to do an automated pizza kitchen on a big scale, like like some of these big players, Pizza Hut and all yeah. that, you have to, like they have a walk-in and they have a drive-through and they do delivery. Some of their delivery they do from third parties. Some of them they do internally with their own drivers. If you want to manage all of those logistics at the same time, you have to have a warmer. And our patent pending was built on knowing that the the majority of you know doing an automated pizza kitchen is being able to heat and hold so that you can do that. So we're starting off as a walk-up kiosk, you know, it's just a simple thing that we can get out there and start making money. But we know that the complexity that our design can provide a community, or not the complexity for the consumer, but for the system itself, being right. able to solve a lot of problems is you have to have the warmer to be able to do that. Yeah, and being able to scale it, like you say. Correct. You know, bring it to theme parks, bring it to amusement parks, Correct. bring it to airports. I mean, they're getting more and more. We're in the age of everything is going to be in a vending machine, right? Yeah. You know, you can go to an airport and literally buy headphones and this and that and whatever you want from an all-self-serviced machine. Why can't the food sector be starting to catch up in that area? Correct. And uh, I haven't mentioned this yet, I don't think, but we can also do wings in our system. Yeah, so how do wings, I mean, don't get me wrong, wings and pizza go hand in hand in a normal food mindset. Yeah. But how does it go hand in hand with the technology? Um, so it's the same process. So we try to look for foods that have the same process. So we can do pastries as well. We have a company that does a, um, so th this is where it really gets really cool, is that we have a beverage system that does coffee. And we can make our system smaller so that it can fit into a coffee shop. We have a company that does smart uh, shopping, frictionless shopping, where when you come through the store, you have uh, it tracks your face around the store, and whatever you grab off the shelf, it automatically bills you. It's kind of like the Amazon uh, Amazon Go store. It, it is, yeah. And they just open source their technology, so we can work. Oh, they with just them. open source it. Okay, yeah, they that's just huge. open source it, so we can work with them. But we have a couple other players that are independent tech companies that have similar technology that we can work with as well. And it's, these are via integrations. So I have a guy that does a burrito machine. I have a guy that does a, uh, a beverage system, a coffee, like they can do any type of coffee for a drive-through and for walk-in. So if you partner ours up with theirs and then you have the frictionless shopping, you're, I mean, you've been inside of Starbucks, that's basically their entire store is they have some stuff that's on, off, on a shelf that mm -hmm. you can go grab and take to the register. In this case, when you grab it, in this case, it automatically bills you. But then you have your pastries, which my system takes care of, and then you have an automated coffee system. And you I bring all those together on one software platform so that the operator can manage everything from one uh, dashboard and the consumer can get the entire menu from their app. Um, yeah. And now it's the consumers walking in, grabbing everything they need to, but not having to deal with an earful when they don't read the credit card machines down. Correct. Yeah, you don't have to talk to anybody. So we're we're doing that. So the, the pizza system can be a pastry. It can work with these other automated tech. We also have automated beer and alcohol systems. Uh, they're not ours. These are other companies that want to work with us because uh, 
having a self-pour station set up next to a pizza kitchen on a, in a retail space is an automated pizza pub. Right. So you just have one employee there or two, maybe one yeah. guy's carting, one guy's at the door and that's it. And uh, so that's what I'm, and even that's then, the way that I look. You can probably get rid of people carding in the future with just a scannable, yeah, they have a a scannable ID. Yeah. yeah. They have all that stuff available. So that's where it's going. And I'm looking at, we're not, we're looking at developing a software platform that can be a, um, an integrator for multiple systems. And what that does allows us to be a distributor and I can go and have 30, 40 different automated food or beverage tech companies under this umbrella. Right. And when, when we go to the market selling the pizza system and all this other tech, we go to the operators, potential operators, uh, through our, our network of uh, distributors, which we're uh, currently creating. And when we go to them, we have a smorgasbord of tech and they, it allows the operators to say, I want this, this, and this. And then we give them the software. They bring it all together, and they've got an automated, whatever. Yeah, they, they white a label restaurant it. or a they service can call it whatever yeah. they want. Yeah, I don't care. Um, right. Yeah, it's more of a software as a service when we when we go to that. But right now we're focusing primarily, one hundred percent on just the pizza and laser focused on that because if we don't do that right, we won't get to the other stuff. The other <laughs> you got to get that, that first, that first that's step. Yeah. We don't want to right? dilute ourselves, uh, into anything else, but we know that that's our future, um, with this, with this industry and with, what our tech is going to inevitably roll into it, At least if I have anything to do with it, it certainly will. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, the future of whether it be quick service, fast, casual yeah. dining is starting to, be more open to stuff like this. Yeah. People are starting to be more open to a self-served or a quick served idea or a concept that having something fully automated for you walk in, punch in your order in a tablet. And the next thing you know, through systems, your food pops up in front of you. That's it. And that's what we want to eventually get to. And, uh, I think that's where everything's going. So we're trying to head it off at the pass as fast as we can go. Yeah. And, uh, so that's where we're going. And I, th I think, I mean, I think it's truly incredible. The only thing I like, I look at it is like from a bar standpoint, you've got your bartenders behind the bar that typically can work in an upsell. So how do yeah. you factor in an upsell? Maybe geofencing, auto geofencing. When they purchase something, it pings another product to pop up and say, Hey, you purchased this. You may want this. Like, a, like for example, if you're in a bar and you get a pizza and you get a, uh, a beer, and I don't know what the carding is for a cigar. I like cigars. Right. And uh, I would want, you know, when I have, you know, two or three drinks, I want a cigar. Right. And uh, so that would be an upsell for me where if you had like an automated cigar, they don't have that on the market yet that I'm aware of. But I'm saying that well, if they did. Well, you can use the technology from Amazon where yeah. you have your humidor and everything is sensitive. And once you take that, once you take the cigar out One and cigar you walk out, it out, that's now it's it. charging you. That's it. So, so you integrate that type of tech, maybe not a vending machine style, but yeah. something of that nature. Yeah, I'm sure it would work. yeah. And if they do have a humidor, I've been in one of those. Uh, there's a there's a business here over off of uh, Jefferson Highway. Okay, I forgot the name of it, but is it they have um, a humidor? It's yeah. a, in the back. Uh, they have like all these nice couches. Yeah, I know and stuff. exactly where it's uh, Churchill's. Yeah, that's it, Churchill's, yeah. and. Uh, so I've I've gone there and it, it like when I imagine that type of upsell, I would be envisioning that type of humidor where you right. walk in and you your face is tracked uh, just like they do at Amazon Go. And then if you grab something, it can detect 
and they can credit you if you put it back. Right. And you can, I mean, I went to, so I went to the Amazon go in Seattle, right? I think it was maybe about six months after they'd opened it. We went there for a trip with LSU and we literally, you got a QR code, you scanned it and yep. you went through the little, the little terminal, yeah. like a train station. That's it. And you walked around and they, they had, had one employee, you around. they had one employee in the whole store carting for alcohol. Yeah. And you would walk in, they look at your ID. Okay. You're good to go. And whatever you grabbed, you put in the basket and it felt so weird yeah. just walking out. And yeah. I, was like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, do I check out Did the I bag? Everything? What do I, what do yeah. I do? Like, does this count? You know? And then sure enough, like within five minutes, I had a notification yeah, pop it. up. Here's your receipt. I was able to look at them like, oh my gosh. Like yeah, it was that's going to be the incredible. new norm. And that's really where I, what I want to bring to the restaurant industry. And it's done through this software program that we're working on. And, uh, but uh, like I said, I'm not getting going into that because I get all these ideas and I have to really stay focused on the pizza because we're doing really good there. We're staying on our timeline and, you know, we get out there and start selling these things in, in Tigerland and create some pizzazz and uh and then we raise a little bit more money we have some some serious vc firms that we're talking to and uh after we do the field test we start developing some smart software for the pizza system only right and uh and then you know we take it from there after we start scaling and learn how to scale the pizza business and you know it's katie bar the door what do we do next well, we've already got all these things designed which i've taken the last three or four years of my life to design our, it's because I love doing it. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't work for me. I was going to do it anyway. And, uh, so we'd go into the automated fried chicken and go compete with Todd Graves and, uh, I'll do the, fr uh, the hamburger system. There's other systems out there, but I'm going to build mine, my own and, uh, go compete with McDonald's, whoever, you know, whatever it's, 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 it's fun, but we're in that bubble. We're licensed it out. Yeah, license it. I'll probably do that. I'm not going to run these restaurants. Yeah, I was about to say just license. I'm just build the technology and say, "Hey, here's your efficiency model." That's you it. Know? That's it. Go have fun <clears throat> selling cheeseburgers. Right. Um, I think as an entrepreneur with that mindset of always creating, always crafting, it's challenging yeah. to stay focused and to keep your mind, you know, yeah. on the straight path of what you're doing and what you're actually working on in the present moment. Because once you get to that point of success. You're like, I want to build, I can see how this applies to six, seven of other things, yeah. but you've still got to hit that revenue market. Yeah. You know, you got to hit the revenue numbers. Yeah. You got to hit that target. You got to hit all that stuff for the investors to keep funding yeah. the and success. Stay, staying where you can keep the money, where you can scale it and have the money coming back in. Because right. it's very important, obviously, to, <laughs> to fund To fund the next venture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, the way that I envision this or I have for a long time, is it I'm going to you know, get the pizza system as far as I can, mm -hmm. maybe 18 months from now, and then hire a management team, create an LLC, and let them take off with the pizza system. And then Sanjay and I can can go and do some more development. Right. And we'll pitch to the board of directors and say, you know, what, what do we, where do we go next? And uh, let a management company, somebody like Paul or somebody that's very talented, that's not my skill set, but uh, – hire somebody to take the company and scale it like, you know, like you wouldn't believe Cause yeah. it, this, that's what it, that's what we're in that bubble where that's going to happen. And, uh, people, there's, uh, operators looking for this type of tech and we solve a pretty good little, you know, we have a pretty good solution for a pretty decent sized market. Yeah. It's just a matter of perfecting it and getting it ready because they don't want to work through hiccups. 
Correct. They want to take something. Yeah, we, that's we, ready to we go. gotta take all the hiccups. You, you gotta take the hiccups. You gotta you gotta solve, you know. That's it. And not a thousand. We need ten thousand successful runs with zero errors. That's it. You know, that's what they need before yeah. they and then what happens take when it you up. do have that one in a million? Because those little things will how do you solve it? Yeah. And how do you solve it effortlessly? You just have to do the controls in such a way and, and scale it or you know, set the business up with the strongest controls possible so you don't have flimsy designs. Right. Uh that's that's how I look at it. I like to feel comfortable that if I can set a process up, I can see it working repetitiously, you know, every every cycle. Something really has to go wrong in order for that not to occur yeah. the same way. And then here's how we're going to fix it whenever it does go wrong. Yeah, have we we got a we have a maintenance company that we're working with this that's third party and they we re, we will require the operators to store parts locally and uh there's a company called Pitney Bowes that we we've been talking to for the last couple of years and uh they do the third party maintenance so we'll set it up we give them a manual we work with their technicians and uh our company Bars Inc. will hold will handle the customer service side of it. So if somebody does get a bad pizza or something like that, we handle that for the operator. So we we really want a hands off type of experience for uh, an an operator who wants to come in here, have a you know a, a, a pizza kiosk that will do say one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, but on the bottom line they're doing fifty to sixty thousand dollars in profit. Right. But they want they want to be able to say put up three locations and manage it all with one employee. That's what we can bring them. Yeah, they yeah. want to be able to get in, be a franchisee, or a franchisor, and then be able to just run through with everything. Correct, and we take and all the keep, headaches and out just keep for adding, them. you know, keep investing their dollars to keep growing what they want to build. Correct. So yeah. we're we're starting to get kind of get to the ends of the show. Yeah. Um, I think we could sit here and talk for hours, but yeah. we yeah, we do have time limits via radio. Yeah, if it's um, automation. Let's do it <laughs> exactly. So we have a, a typical four questions that we ask everybody. And the first one is, what is something you did as a kid you wished you could still do today? Um, well, I grew up in Costa Rica for a uh, short short period of time. Wait, what? Yeah, I grew up in okay. Costa Rica. I was there for a year and a half, two years okay. maybe. I can't remember. Second and third grade, something like that. And I loved it. It was really a great time in my life. Um, I don't know. I don't, that's a good question. <laughs> Hunting with my dad, I always loved that. That okay. was a lot of fun. What was something you did as a kid that you wish you could still do today? So it's something you did as a kid that you no longer do. Oh. I and mean, living in Costa Rica is probably yeah, that's one. That's gonna I, be hard to top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was I like that experience. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Okay, we'll go with living in Costa Rica. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what are what are three lessons? I mean, you've been in so many different businesses, involved in so many different occupations and even industries, what are three lessons you've learned along the way of your career so far? Um, don't put the cart before the horse, like with all these other ideas that I'm, you know, presenting, like they're fun and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, stay grounded and get the company to make money first uh -huh. and then people will talk to you more seriously. And, uh, so that would be one lesson. The, the other lesson, probably listen to your board of directors because they- <laughs> You hired them for a reason. Yeah. And uh, they're good people. They're experienced. And, uh, you know, I fought hard to get them. So listen to them. The other lesson would be to enjoy the experience, you know, because you get 
if you think about all the things that can go wrong and you should be thinking about it, but if you stress out like that, you're going to really have a bad experience. Like my first year that I bought the paper company, I had shingle. I had the shingles within a month, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was horrible. And uh, that was the same week that the Katrina thing. I didn't have electricity. You had a a bad. It was horrible. Oh, my gosh. And uh, couldn't get to work, couldn't get out of the house. I had no AC and had shingles. But it it was because the shingles came from stress. And it it was induced by my own overthinking. And uh, so if I had it to do over again, I would I would say just pre-plan everything and work to plan and don't stress out about it. If it ain't going to work, it ain't going to work. Right. You know, it was just work as hard as you can and don't stress. That's what I would say. I love that. Those are those are three key lessons, man. So what is it that you love about Baton Rouge? It's not Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. I, so then what about Jackson, Mississippi don't you like? I didn't like the crime. I didn't like that. That wasn't a lot of fun. I was paranoid, I guess, riding around. But um, no, Baton Rouge has a lot to do. I come originally from Monroe, Louisiana. That's my hometown. And uh, Monroe is a really slow-paced type, bridges over Madison County, that type of mm-hmm. slow-type right. city. And uh, I, uh, I enjoy it because Baton Rouge has a lot to do. There's a lot of people here. You can always go to a different restaurant, you know, probably a, a different restaurant every week for years and never you can go to a different restaurant all the time. Same thing with New Orleans. We're close to New Orleans. So doing like a culinary adventure to New Orleans is a lot of fun for me. It's within striking distance. And uh, my first year of college, I went to Lafayette USL or UL now. Yeah. And uh, I have a lot of fraternity brothers there. So I'm just within striking distance of them. And uh, so I'm in a good little place, New Orleans, Lafayette, Baton Rouge. And then if I want to go up to see my dad, he's in Monroe. It's three and a half hours away. And I'm two hours away from the hunting camp. It's even better. Yeah. And then I'm, <laughs> I'm three hours away from saltwater fishing. So <laughs> yeah, you got everything you need. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there. I, I, I like everything about it. That's excellent, man. And for the final question, what, what can I do to help? Help find me some investors. <laughs> <laughs> No. There we go. No. Just networking, stuff like that. Typical stuff. Okay. Yeah. Let's see if I can think of some people to put you in contact with. Yeah, I with. appreciate it. Help you out with the yeah, any little bit else. pizza and everything. You never know yeah. where a conversation is going to lead, you know, or end up. It may not be the person you connect me with, but maybe somebody they know. Right. And that's the beauty of Baton Rouge is the people, right? Yeah. Being everyone's connected to everyone and it's a yeah. little big town. And there's a lot of people here that that are very entrepreneurial geared like I am mm-hmm. like doing that being self self uh, driven. And uh, I see a lot of that here where I didn't see that in the other places that I live, Jackson and Monroe, you just don't have that. You don't have the assistance. Like we have these programs where like Todd Lowry, Stephen uh, Loy, all, all the people in the uh, over at the LA tech park are like really pull together to try to help you out. And that's, that makes a big difference. And uh, so I, I really like that about Baton Rouge. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I appreciate your it. time. I love hearing your story. It's, yeah. I'm excited to see it, you know, in actuality and see it working and see it running some pizzas through there, man. Me too. That makes two of us. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so thank everybody else for coming, whether you're here in person. Thank you for the little crowd we got here. Or if you're watching us or you're listening to us on whatever platform you are, I really appreciate it. 
and I know the guests do, and we're so thankful for everyone that makes this possible, which is Government Taco, Jay to Cody. We've been talking about him tonight. This man seems to be everywhere. <laughs> but go over to Government Taco. They've got specials every day. Thursday is Thirsty Thursday all day long, and they've also got new tacos of the month every single month. Go over there and tell them Patty G sent you, and then also to Falaya Real Estate, a local built real estate app helping you not only save your dollars but also putting you in an incredible place to make your family's dreams come true well everybody this is the latest rendition of the patty g show i'm your host patty g patty g here with speed bancroft of speedy pizzas y'all check him out he's coming to tigerland soon y'all have a good one thanks